Welcome to session three of Beholding Jesus and His Amazing <coughs> Grace. This session is entitled Jesus Our Completeness. And I'm going to dive right into Matthew chapter 8, verse 14. When Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw Peter's mother in law lying sick in bed with a fever, and Jesus touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and waited on him. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. And that is from Isaiah 53, verse 4. So when he healed Peter's mother-in-law, when he cast out the spirits, when he healed all who were ill, it was to fulfill an old covenant prophecy. And he himself was there demonstrating that he was the fulfillment. I'm going to highlight one little word in that passage of Matthew 8. And it'll be the focus of this message. And that one word is touched. When Jesus touched Peter's mother-in-law's hand, power went out from him and she was healed. Now that word in the Greek is hoptomai. And I will warn you, I'm going to butcher this word because <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do what you don't do and I'm going to make it like an English word. I'm going to put an ED on it. I'm going to say hoptomide and things like that. But um, that's okay because I'm not a theologian. I'm just, this is what I do for me and for you. So um, the word hoptomai in the Greek, here, here's some definitions. It doesn't really have a good English equivalent. It doesn't mean just merely touch. Okay, so listen to the, to the meanings. To modify or change by touching. Touching that influences. Touching someone or something in a way that alters it. To fasten to, adhere to, cling to, to set on fire. A couple of other definitions. Of or pertaining to sexual relations between a man and a woman. Regarding the law, contact with the unclean, which would cause one to be unclean. One commentary called Hoptomai, impact touching. And most of the occurrences of Hoptomai are when Jesus touched someone and they were healed. Now earlier in that same chapter of Matthew 8, that word is used regarding Jesus touching the leper and cleansing him. And then in the next chapter in Matthew 9 is when the woman with the issue of blood Hoptomai'd Jesus and she was made whole. And then later on, in that same chapter, Jesus hoptomized the eyes of two blind men and healed them. Impact touching. Do you believe that we can still be touched today? I do. <laughs> I know by experience. We've all experienced the touch of Jesus. And here's the thing about it. Whether He's touching us or we're reaching out and touching Him, the power goes one way. Our lack, our weakness and pain our sickness, sin, unrighteousness, uncleanness doesn't go towards Him. It only goes one way. And in fact, the reason that it never goes to Him is because that already happened, right? Once. It was done on the cross 2,000 years ago when He bore all of our sin and all of the curse of the law for us. Earlier this week, 
Um, I was talking to one of my kids, he's in this room, uh, Neil, about my plans for this message. And um, I had read that passage to him that I just read to y'all out of Matthew 8, and I was recalling and retelling this story about the time when that passage just really became meaningful to me. And that's when Mark was prayed for in 1995 in a prayer meeting to be healed of an incurable disease that he had suffered from since 1987, when we were basically newlyweds. And this man read that passage, and when I heard that part, he himself took our infirmities and cured away our diseases. I had an epiphany. I just never thought of it before, but at that moment I knew Jesus took Mark's sickness in his body. And that wasn't the first rhema word, I call it a rhema word, um, that it occurred. The first one was a few months earlier in January of 1995 when I was sitting in the den in our home in Chattanooga and the Bible just fell open to James 5 and y'all know it, but this is what my eyes went to as if I'd never seen it though I had. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise him up. Now, it was as if I'd never seen it, and it really was miraculous. But I didn't know a thing about healing. I didn't know how it worked. To my knowledge, no one had ever prayed for Mark to be healed. And uh, I didn't know if it was for everyone, but I knew that it was for Mark. It just, it just was like lightning struck. And then a few months later, um, that passage in, in Matthew 8 just enlightened me so much and that last part from Isaiah. So anyway, I'm telling all this to Neil and uh, I told him, I said, I want to talk about what happens to us when Jesus touches us, but I, I can't think of a title because I, this is the way my, this is the way I work, right? I want every one of these in this series to be Jesus comma our blank. Okay, I want every one of them. And I didn't know, you know, Jesus, our toucher. <laughs> I couldn't think of a good one. And he said almost immediately, how about Jesus, our completeness? And boy, oh boy, talk about a touch from God. I felt immediately, I just felt the goosebumps, right? And I said, that's right. When Jesus touches us, he brings completeness. He completes us. And of course, you know, he already completed us 2,000 years ago, right? In the resurrection, it says He was the firstborn from among the dead. It says in Romans 8, He was the firstborn among many brethren. We are that brethren, right? When we were born again by faith in Jesus, we became a new creation. He created us anew. And let me tell you, one of the definitions, when He said that, you know, Jesus, our completeness. You know what the definition that came to my mind was? That one about the union of a man and a woman. And now I was out looking for a card for Mark, and you see that phrase, you complete me, <laughs> right? Well, he does. He completes us. And he completed us in the resurrection. And we became a new creation, perfectly comparable to him, suitable for him, just as Eve was for Adam in the garden. When you are a new creation, you are complete in Jesus. Colossians 2, in Jesus dwells all the fullness 
of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. Now that word complete, it's a verb there. It's the verb form of the noun fullness that was in verse 9. And here's what that word means. To fill to the top so that nothing shall be wanting. To render perfect. To cause to abound. To be liberally supplied. To fill with the presence, the power, the agency, and the riches of Christ. We are full. We are complete. We lack nothing in our spirit. But we know in our soul, in our emotions, in our bodies, we need the touch of Jesus every day. We need His touch. We need Him to fill us, to heal us, to supply us every day. He is our completeness. Now, when He hoptimized Peter's mother-in-law, He made her complete. He healed her. And that, that quote from Isaiah 53, 4 said that Jesus took that infirmity from her. I want to look at Isaiah 53, three verses, okay? You can read the whole chapter, but it tells us what Jesus bore for us on the cross. The great exchange passage, and I'm going to read it in the Amplified. Surely Jesus has borne our griefs, sicknesses, weaknesses, and distresses, and carried our sorrows and pains of punishment. Yet we ignorantly considered Him stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God as with leprosy. Now, leprosy is a picture of sin in the Bible, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But I want to look deeper at a few of these words in this passage. Surely He has borne our griefs. That word born is the Hebrew word nasah. And it means to bear something in the sense of suffering punishment for it. And that, that same word, that same Hebrew word is used later in the passage in verse 12 where it says He bore our sin. The word griefs, He has borne our griefs. That word is literally, it's a Hebrew word koli, and it means sickness. In fact, koli is part of the curse of the law that's described in Deuteronomy 28. Extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, serious and prolonged sicknesses. That is the, the Hebrew word koli. So all of this fell on Jesus for our sakes. This is part of the curse. But listen, you know the truth. Galatians 3.13 Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us for as it is written, cursed is every man who hangs on a tree. Jesus took the koli, the sicknesses, the diseases into Himself. The full force of the curse of the law fell on Him. So we're redeemed from it. You know, that is why we can go boldly before the throne of grace and say, Lord, will you stretch forth your hand as they prayed in Acts, right? Stretch forth your hand and heal. And you know, for the believer, I truly believe it comes from the inside. I think it's just the life of Jesus giving life to our mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwells inside of us. And you know, this healing is so complete, so promised that we will never die. Even when these bodies are gone. Amen. We're going to get new ones one day. And won't that be glorious? All right. He has carried our sorrows and pains of punishment. That word carried is the Hebrew word sabel. And it's a lot like Nassau in that it means to bear something as a penalty or chastisement 
It's also used later on in verse 11 where it says, He bore our iniquities. The word sorrows, that word is makob, and it means pains, both mental and physical pains. He carried our mental and emotional pains. He carried our physical pains. Listen to Young's literal translation. Surely our sicknesses He hath borne, and our pains He hath carried them. All right, the next verse in the Amplified says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquities. And the chastisement needful to obtain peace and well-being for us was upon Him. All right, I'm going to define five of these words. Okay, I'm going to give you a lot of words, but just listen. If you look up the Hebrew, you, these are the definitions in Strong's Concordance that you're going to get. Wounded, to be profaned, defiled, desecrated, bruised, crushed, broken, shattered. Now I want you to see this all of Jesus bearing all of this, okay? Iniquities, perversity, depravity, guilt, and punishment. Chastisement, discipline, chastening, and correction. Peace, shalom, completeness, wholeness, soundness, welfare. Now, I'm going to do Atricia's expanded translation, and I'm going to put all of that together in that portion of verse 5. But Jesus was profaned, defiled, and desecrated for our sins. Jesus was crushed, broken, and shattered for our perversity, depravity, and guilt. The discipline, chastening, and correction to obtain completeness, wholeness, soundness and welfare was on him. And then the verse continues in the Amplified. And with the stripes that wounded Jesus, we are healed and made whole. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has made to light upon him the guilt and iniquity of us all. Now the New King James says the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That verb, <clears throat> laid on him, is paga, and it means to touch, to make intercession, to join, to reach the mark, to encounter. <clears throat> Jesus touched our sin to adhere to it, to join to it, to take it away. And he did that by paying the penalty for our sin. What is the wages of sin? Death. And He paid that for us. Hebrews 4.15 in the King James Version says He was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Now that word infirmities is weaknesses and sicknesses. Now the word touched here is not hoptimai. It's sympatheo. And listen to the definition. It means to be affected with the same feeling as another. To feel for. To have compassion for. Jesus was touched with all of our brokenness, with all of our emotional wounds and our sicknesses so that we could trade places. And for our brokenness, He would give us His completeness, His wholeness, His soundness, and His welfare. Now, earlier in Matthew 8, as I told you, Jesus hoptimized the leper and cleansed him. Now, when I reread that story in Matthew 8 this week, you know what I thought of? I thought of covid COVID was treated like leprosy, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Yep. I got COVID. 
Early on in January of 2021, I got the big one, the original. And then a few months later, Frances got what they call the Delta variant. And she, was, she lives in Chattanooga, but she wasn't married at the time, so she came home so I could take care of her. Then a few weeks later, Elizabeth got the Delta variant, and she lives in Memphis, but she came home so I could take care of her. Now, I was immune, and so I could touch them, and I could hug them, and I even got in the bed with them, because when you're sick, that's when you need people to touch you. You need touch, right? You need hugs. At least that's my motto. I've never shied away from sick people, but I understand why we do it. But quarantine, it's nothing new, is it? In, in Bible times, the lepers had to quarantine because they were considered unclean. And if anyone touched them, they would become unclean. But Jesus didn't stay away from the lepers. He touched the lepers. Right after the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus came down the mountain. And in Matthew 8, 1, it says, When He had come down from the mountain, the great multitudes followed Him. Now Jesus would soon encounter this leper the leper would not have been with the multitudes because he couldn't be around people. He couldn't even be around his family. So we have to assume that Jesus must have been a few steps ahead of the multitudes in order to be alone with this man. And it says in verse 2, And behold, a leper came and worshipped him. Luke's account says he was full of leprosy. NASB says he was covered with leprosy. Can you imagine the sight? And... It says he worshipped him in Matthew. In Luke it said he fell on his face and he implored him. When I saw that, I thought, perhaps this leper heard the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe he was hiding in the mountains in the cleft of a rock away from the people. And he heard all of that message, which part of it was from Matthew 7. Maybe he heard this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will you give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? So this leper cries out to Jesus as he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus put out his hand. And you know, in Mark's version, it says he was moved with compassion and he stretched out his hand and he hoptimized this leper. And as he did it, he said, I am willing. I am. That's who he is, right? I'm willing. Be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. It is the same way with sin. Jesus did not shy away from sinners. He touched them. He ate with them. He forgave them. He loved them. And the time we need the touch of Jesus most is when we mess up, when we fail. He is immune to sin. So He'll come close. He'll touch us. He'll hug us. Even when others may be too ashamed to be around us or disgraced by us or you know, afraid that we're going to slime them somehow. And I, I know from the Word of God, from John chapter 8, chapter 16, verse 8 through 10, that what would Jesus say to me if I am alone and perhaps I have done something horrible? You know what He would say to me? He, the Spirit of Jesus would convict me of my righteousness. 
and he would remind me, nothing, nothing has changed. You're still the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing has separated you from him. If I was an unbeliever, the Holy Spirit would convict me of my unbelief. And he would say, you need a Savior. Call out to me. I'm here. I will save you. I will heal you. So, when Jesus touched the leper, Jesus did not become unclean. The leper became clean. And when Jesus touches the sinner, the sin does not affect Jesus. The righteousness of Jesus goes into the sinner. And He becomes righteous. In fact, Jesus didn't just come near sinners. He became sin. He adhered to, joined to that sin so that He could take it away. He became, and we've talked about this, our mediator. I want to read to y'all some profound words that were spoken by Job. In Job 9, this is from the New Living, God is not a mortal like me, so I cannot argue with Him or take Him to trial. If only there were a mediator between us, someone who could bring us together. Well, the New King James has a more literal translation of that, as well as others like the New American Standard. Listen to what, he's, what it's written there. Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on both of us. The difference between Job and us is we're living this side of the cross. We do have a mediator, the God-man, Jesus. He has laid his hand on both God and on us. First Timothy 2.5 again. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all. Jesus is our mediator. Listen to the definition of mediator, the Greek word for mediator. One who intervenes between two parties to restore peace. One who intervenes to ratify a covenant, a go-between, a reconciler. So he's our mediator. And as we said, He's our intercessor, right? And that intercession, the word intercede, means to strike the mark, to hit the bullseye. And that word for intercession is the antonym of the word for sin, which is harmatia in the Greek. And that word means to miss the mark. So Jesus is continually hitting the bullseye for us so that when we miss the mark, we need to be assured His hand is upon us. His hand has never left us. We need to feel that blessed assurance that we hear His voice. You're still one with me. You're still one with the Father. Nothing has changed. I want to read Hebrews 7.25 in the Weist Expanded Translation. Listen to the verb tenses here. He is able to be saving completely and forever those who come to God through Him being always alive. I'm going to stop here. Jesus ever lives. He will always live. The only way this covenant can be broken is if He dies or if He sins, and neither of those is going to happen, right? He is always alive for the purpose of continually making intercession for us. And that's not a prayer. That's His act of intercession. He remains as our divine servant in heaven. All right, back to Matthew and the next chapter, Matthew 9. We have this example of the woman with the issue of blood. 
hopped among Jesus and, and she was made whole. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched, hoptomide, clung to the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I may touch his garment, I, be, I, may, I will be made well. I'm going to talk about that garment here in just a minute. But Jesus turned around and he saw her and he said, be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well that very hour. I love that. She is the only woman that he addressed directly as daughter. And when she hoptimied him, power came out from him and healed her. All right, I want to read a short excerpt from an article called Healing in His Wings. Jesus would have been wearing a prayer shawl called a tallit. On the corners of the tallit were four tassels. The English word hem, H-E-M, is a translation of a Greek word which means tassel of twisted wool. The Jews of Jesus' day believed that the tassels that were tied to the corners of the prayer shawl of the Messiah had healing powers. They believed this because of Malachi 4.2, which says the Son of Righteousness rises with healing in its wings. Son of Righteousness was a Hebrew figure of speech for the Messiah. And the same word used, wings is a Hebrew word, is the same word used for referring to the edge of the prayer shawl. So this woman reached out, hopped to mind, the wings of the Son of Righteousness, and she was healed. In Luke's account, Jesus said this, Who touched me? Who hoptimized me? Somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Now that word power is dunamis, and it's the word from which we get our word dynamite. That was an impact touch, and Jesus felt it. This woman was a lawbreaker. Under the law, you were not to be out in public if you were bleeding, but it was worth it to her to break the law so she could hop to my, the Son of Righteousness, and be healed. She probably knew, as it says in Mark 6, 56, as many as touched Him, as many as hoptimied Him, were made whole, completely whole, all of them, and I like to say not just those who were prayed up, confessed up, well-behaved, and up-to-date on their tithing, or those who were perfectly obedient to the law. All of them, because Jesus is full of grace. And of His fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. You know that word fullness in John 1.16 is the same word in Colossians 2.9, the fullness of the Godhead. That's what Jesus has. And that's what He has given us and filled us with. Now, I want to go on a little, little bit of a rabbit trail here to close. To this woman with the issue of blood, He said, Your faith has made you well. Later in that chapter, to the two men whose eyes He hoptimized, He said something similar. He said, According to your faith, let it be to you. To the woman with the alabaster box who hoptimized His feet, he said something similar. And also to the centurion, to the Syrophoenician woman, to Bartimaeus, to one of the ten lepers, the Samaritan leper that came back 
and thanked Jesus for cleansing him in Luke 17. To all of these people, he said something to the effect, your faith has healed you. Your faith has saved you. What is faith? Okay? I'm real simple about faith, and I'm just going to share with y'all what I truly believe. We should never be intimidated by the idea of faith or ever be condemned by the thought of not having enough of it. I feel like God has shown me something, and I'm not the first person that He's shown this to, but He has convinced me that if you know what faith truly is, you will never, ever come under condemnation for not having enough of it. Faith. The, he, the Greek word for faith is pistis. And in a nutshell, it's God's divine persuasion. This is what I see. He sent His Son to persuade us of His existence, of His nature, of His identity, of His goodness, grace, love. To me, Jesus is God's divine persuasion. So to me, faith is just Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, if you want to have an action added to that. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now in all my looking into pastis, I found the same. Everybody says this. Faith is a gift of God. Faith cannot be produced by human effort. Faith cannot be conjured. So I say, Jesus is my faith. Now I'm going to, in the place of where I said faith, I'm going to say something else that Jesus is to us. You can put anything. I think you could try it with anything. You could use the word holiness. You could use the word wisdom. You could use the word sanctification. You could use the word provision or healing. I'm going to use the word righteousness. Okay? Everything I just said, I'm going to say it again, but I'm going to say righteousness. Righteousness is a gift of God. Righteousness cannot be produced by human effort. Righteousness cannot be conjured. Jesus is our righteousness. 1 Corinthians 1.30, right? Romans 7, 1.17 tells us that righteousness is revealed from faith to faith, from pastis to pastis. And as I've said many times, why is, why is righteousness by faith? Because every day you're going to look in the mirror and see evidence to the contrary. We must behold Jesus as our righteousness. And you know what happens? He becomes the substance of what we're believing. I'm going to talk about that word substance in a minute. If He is your righteousness, you will, you will live out. The substance of your life will be what you're believing. If you believe right, you'll live right, right? If, you, if your focus is your flesh, sin consciousness and all of that, you'll walk it out. The substance of it will be your self-effort, right? You'll walk in the flesh. But when Jesus becomes the substance of what we're believing, then he, he, that life, that reality is going to come out in our lives. I'm not saying this the way it's in my heart. His life is going to manifest in our lives. Let's just look at the word substance here. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, the Greek word is hypostasis. It means foundation, that which has actual existence, giving reality to, 
assurance, confidence. It is the same word translated nature in Hebrews 1.3. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His nature. King James says the express image of His person. Hypostasis. Jesus is the substance of God. He is the manifestation of all that God is for us. He is the evidence. He is the proof of God. He said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. He's the substance of everything we hope for. So I always say this when we're reading the Gospels. And you see Jesus caring for people, defending people, saving people, healing people. You're seeing the manifestation, the substance of heaven on earth, the substance of God. He didn't leave us without faith. You see it? Jesus is our faith. And every one of those people that I just listed, they all had something in common. They're, they were looking unto the author of faith. They were looking unto Jesus. And, I, you know, Vaughn and I like, this is something that's really been meaningful to us, is that, do you believe that he believed? Sometimes I just tack on to his faith. I piggyback on his faith and I just look at him on the cross. Do I believe that Jesus believed that by his blood I would be made righteous and whole and clean. I believe that. I believe that He believed. I just think faith is simple. Just look at Jesus. He is the substance. He is the image of the invisible God. Alright, Romans 10, 17. So faith, pistis, the God's divine persuasion, the substance of God, comes by hearing and hearing by the Word, by the rhema Word of Christ. The utterance of the living voice. That's what rhema is. The utterance of the living voice. And the Good Shepherd, he says, My sheep hear my voice. They know my voice. I know them and they follow me. And that's why every time, and, and I've got witnesses to this as we always pray before I teach, I pray that you will hear His voice that it is not my voice. It is, I would love for you to go from this gathering here and say, listen to what God told me. Listen to what I heard Jesus say. I would love for you to say that. Go share your testimony with somebody about what Jesus said. I've gone over, but I just want to say to y'all, I have prayed that in this series particularly, that you would be touched by as I open up the Scriptures to you, as He opens up the Scriptures to you concerning Jesus, just as those two on the road to Emmaus whose hearts burned within them. Because every time we receive a touch from Jesus, we're receiving heavenly completeness and wholeness in our soul and in our body. Something changes. Something happens. I have been singing this song all week. He touched me. You know that one? He touched me. Oh, He touched me. And oh, what joy that floods my soul. Something happened and now I know He touched me and made me whole. 
when he touches us, something happens. We experience something. Sometimes it will bring tears to our eyes. Sometimes his touch can be felt on our skin, the goosebumps or whatever. Sometimes you, you feel lighter because a burden has been lifted. Sometimes you're healed physically. He touches you and you can feel it. Sometimes you can't even feel it. You just go to the doctor and you find out. Sometimes it happens when you least expect it. And all of a sudden there's a flood, a waterfall of tears. That's just healing years. You, you might be at the grocery. It doesn't always happen at a convenient time, but you just can't stop the flood of tears that's healing you of disappointment or deferred hope or pain. Sometimes it comes and makes you smile. You just smile. You get a silly smile on your face and you can't help it. You giggle or you laugh or you want to sing or dance or worship or shout praises. It might come as a burst of energy. It might come as just a flood of peace and all of a sudden, no anxiety. You let it go. It's gone. Whatever it is, you just, it's gone. Maybe you're confused, you can't see straight, and all of a sudden, soberness, clear mind, and you can see. The touch of Jesus does something. Something happens. You know, He touched me. He changed my, He touches me all the time, and it usually comes with tears. But He touched me several years ago, and you all know my story. And I'm telling you, it sparked a fire in me. I was not known as a person of boldness. <laughs> Parousia. I was infused with boldness. Sometimes His touch will just spark that fire. Sometimes it will generate a vision, spiritual eyesight, and you can see heavenly things. You can see angels. You can see the future. You can see the face of Jesus. Some, a, a precious memory might be prompted. I don't know. There's a million ways that this touch, you, it's an experience. I'm into the experience. Are y'all into the experience? I was heard for so many years. Don't talk about experience. Oh my goodness. The truth will undo you. I can't live without the touch of Jesus. And so I want to just pray. I want to end by praying for His touch, if that's okay with y'all. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we open our hearts to Your touch. We receive Your touch without shame, without condemnation, without any hesitancy. I ask for Your touch, the touch of Your amazing grace, of Your extravagant love, of Your overwhelming joy, your heavenly peace. I pray for the touch of your kindness and gentleness to heal those places that are damaged, broken, our minds that wrong believing has caused us to think a certain way, has caused us a lot of pain things that have been done to us, things that we've done, whatever it is, I pray you would touch those places and heal us. Touch us with your compassion. I pray for your touch of healing, physical healing. If there is any sickness 
anyone that is hearing this, if there's any sickness, I pray, Lord, your hoptomai, your touch, your impact touch to heal that sickness, that disease, to heal that emotional damage. I pray for wholeness. For you, Lord Jesus, are our completeness. I also pray if there's anyone hearing this message that does not know Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray that you would touch them in that place, that place of uh, protection of the wall that they've built up of defense against the truth and that you would penetrate that wall. And I declare salvation to the lost. And I pray for laborers in the harvest field to go out and share the good news and to hop to mind, to touch. I pray that more will be raised up, Lord. I pray for a mighty revival. In the name of Jesus, I pray everything. Amen. Thank you.